Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Deeper Daily Podcast for this 30, I'm sorry, for this first day of July. Get it together. It's Friday, the first day of July, brand new month, and I had been telling you that our goal was to get started on 2 Timothy today, but if you listen to the podcast the last couple of days, you know that plans changed for one day. We are going to do a long-form Friday today. We'll start the second Timothy journey on the second day of July. That's tomorrow, and we'll also give you the heads up on the sermon that's coming up for the third. All right, that's enough of what we're going to do tomorrow and planned on doing but won't do. Let's jump in. Today, long-form Friday is a Q&A session. It's really, the the questions didn't come from the audience in real time. They, They were basically questions that the panelist, the host of the panelist asked, and then we just handled them roundtable style. There's four of us on the platform, and um, Nathan Blouse, John Scott, Jamie Englehart, and myself are the four panelists. We, we discussed the theme of transition, because that's what this year's conference was about, and it was so fitting, some of the things that the Father gave us to preach in that conference, namely the one we talked about in the essay yesterday was the sermon called Let Go, and if you're going to transition, you got to let go. Uh, this this panel discussion came on Saturday morning, so this was the end of the conference. It was one of the last things that happened. We preached Thursday night. There were two sessions on Friday. Myself and Jamie Englehart spoke. Then I spoke Friday night, and then we had this discussion on Saturday before we had a long session of hearing from all the other ministers in their churches. And then the conference ended. I stuck around, preached one more day. Um, more on that for another time. I don't want to get into the ins and outs of everything we discuss. What's the point of letting you listen to it if I'm going to do that? Uh, we take that main theme of transition, what it looks like, what to expect, what the direction of the church looks like and what to expect. We speak as leaders to a room full of leaders because this is a session that, in which most of the people there are in active ministry in one way or the other, music ministry, missions, children's church, youth directors, senior pastors, executive pastors, evangelists, missionaries, um, church planters. And so we're really trying to speak towards that. I think you'll enjoy this. And I think particularly you're going to love the stuff that comes from these other panelists. I thought this was such a great one hour discussion, top to bottom. I thought everyone contributed fantastic things. And so I hope that you enjoy it just for a point of reference Um, We did not have any specific order that we were going to go in, but it just worked out to where, and I I think it just kind of works this way, the panelist is on the left side of the platform. That's Nathan Blouse, then John Scott, then Jamie Englehart, then me. So in the order of speaking, that's the order um, that you'll hear us. We do jump around a little bit as the discussion goes on, and you'll be able to tell the difference in the voices. But for that first sent, that first question or statement, that's how it will be. So mine will be fourth, and um, I try to spend about as much time as the other guys spend on each thing. Um, and um, I, I do these because I think you benefit from hearing conversations between other people and myself. And I think that some people enjoy hearing how I might interact in these discussions, and it also introduces you to these other ministries. Um, Little heads up, I have started posting the videos from this conference on my Facebook page. 
they have given us access to the videos, and so I'm posting them. I'll put one up every few days. I don't do a lot with Facebook anymore, but I'll jump in there and put these videos up, and we'll put them in the order they were presented, uh, and we'll eventually throw this Q&A up there as well so that you can see the video on this. That'll come up in the next couple of weeks. Without further ado, our group panel discussion from the Connect International's Ministries Conference 2022 from Hill City Church in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. Um, so, what is transition? Uh, as we were texting back and forth uh, questions and points, um, I just thought we ought to basically have the same terms uh, of what that means. And so, uh, as we talk about transition today, which really... Um, we're going to use a definition that basically says the change from one state to another or one position to another and the movement process or period it takes for that transition to happen. To change from one state to another or one position to another, really, and even with what has been presented, one form to another, right? Um, and the movement, the process, or the period that it takes to make that happen. Um, I will, although I will say that, uh, you know, I'm blessed that Jamie and I go back to 1988, and uh, we, oh, by the way, I'm setting up a website for vintage bishop materials. No. I literally have everything from the beginning, and... No, I'm not going to do that because he'd kill me um, in love, of course. Uh, but it's been a blessing to see some of the things because actually in their inceptions, we were talking about these things way back, way ahead of everything. So a lot of times there are things in us that are wisps of things that as they start to form up, begin to form, the, begin to form this surge of, of change. It starts with a thought, it starts with a moment, and then it begins to grow in us. And of course, when I'm saying in us, also keep in mind that while uh, it sounds individual, we're also talking about our churches and our communities, right? So we need to keep both of those things parallel today because some of it will get individual. But then we've also got questions and thought processes as we move through this this morning um, of our churches. Because what we go through as individuals, it then begins to become a community thing. And how many of you have been, uh, while well, most of you know me now as what I'm doing, I pastored for four, seven to 12 years, depending on how you define that. So what we're aware of is we grab something here or we read a book and we're in this reformation, right? But then uh, some of us have had to realize that while that's working in us, this transition from one place and one form to another, we downloaded it too fast into our churches and rather than it, because we get it, right? And so then we're like, Wah! and we, don't, we forget that it took eight months for us to get it and we want to drop it and these are the people that are following us right so we're going to dial into all of that as well and so with, from that basic foundation uh, we want to talk about too what are the signals that a transformation is taking place uh, 
And um, I, I, I threw a few things down, and, and I think we can, we can uh, go from there. Um, I had written down that when a transplant, and these are not in any particular order, when a transformation is taking place in my life, uh, some signals are these. There's a general unrest with present situations or surroundings. There's a general unrest with present situations or surroundings, meaning everything's okay, but not everything's okay. How many of you have been there? Like, there's nothing wrong. The money's in the bank. Everything's moving, but there's, everything's not okay in me. And so that's, that's, that's a key. Another sign or signal of a transformation is, and, and again, these aren't in order, but as the, so this would be a little further in. Um, so, yeah, so let's start there. A general unrest with present situations and, uh, and surroundings. And go ahead. I am there right now. <laughs> uh, I've been through a few transitions uh, in my life in ministry. Uh, and one of the things I noticed is sometimes you get a preemptive word and that you'll get a prophetic word of some sort um, that, that is far before the transition. And it may not make much sense to you at the time, but as you start to hit this transition, now you understand. And, um, and what, what it does is, is, is you know that there's more. You know what I'm saying? There's more. There's something different. Uh, everything around you could be just fine. You, you feel like you should be satisfied and okay with where you are. Uh, you're comfortable, uh, everything's everything, but then there's something turning on the inside that makes you feel that there's another phase, there's another stage, there's something else that I'm supposed to be moving toward. And uh, it, it, it gives you a kind of a, a holy discontentment because you have to discern the difference between being discontent uh, as in your flesh kind of a thing uh, and being discontent where you are because there's more uh, and that requires a lot of a change growth shifting shaking and yeah as, as Paul said uh, you have to let some stuff go and if you're not willing to let anything go then you can't move forward I watched this show and that was uh, they were crossing this river uh, it's like frontier people they were crossing they're going to cross this river uh, and the frontiersmen told the people that were following them that you're going to have to lighten your wagons. And some of them was like, well, this is, this is a precious heirloom to me, and, and I carried this all the way from where I was, and so on and so forth. And the guy said, look, if you're going to cross this river, then you're going to have to leave that stuff on the other side. And so sometimes you have to determine that if I'm going to move into more of an apostolic mode, and you can't be holding on to being a pastor. You're going to have to prepare to make that transition to the next phase. And so some of those things that's going to come with that is that it's that initial hunger for something else. And if you're anything like me, it's like I would, I would like to stay because it's comfortable, but that agitation is like it's more in there. And so uh, the thing I always say to people 
is that uh, if Michael Jackson wants to write a, a thriller album that'd be the best seller of all time, uh, then he can't keep singing ABC in Las Vegas with his brothers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if, you, if you want something more, and if you see there's more, then you're going to have to let go of where you've been so that you can move toward uh, what God has next. Um, also, we've also had, I know even in here, right now we've had several that are connected to us and a lot of ministers as I've traveled that are also transitioning really out of what we would call full-time church ministry into, into, the, into the marketplace and shifting, I mean, from, from everything from coaching to running businesses and, you know, you all know because we've said it here a lot that all of us are called to full-time kingdom ministry. We're not just all called to full-time church ministry. Uh, everybody in the kingdom is called to full-time ministry. Regardless of what that looks like, what you do for a living is not the point. The fact is that you are representing the king right where you are. But in the midst of all of that, that transition, and, and I think one thing John said that just triggered this in me, is the discontentment that takes place when you're in the transition. And I remember uh, years ago, I was going through a whole transition and shifting and kind of shifting out of being a part of like one group and kind of got the left foot of fellowship and then transitioning and had to almost start all over again. And the Lord kept taking me to the passage where Paul said to Timothy, he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And the word great gain in the Greek literally means great profit through business. And so it's, it's, it's not that God doesn't want us to have a place of great profit and he doesn't want us at a place where we're not desiring new and we don't have goals, but learning everything we do, we do it first of all with godliness, and then we learn how to be content. Content doesn't mean satisfied. Content just means I'm grateful for where I am and what I have. I mean, I mean, think about this. What caused all the mess that's in our world is Adam and Eve, who was given everything, became discontented about the one thing they didn't have. I mean, you know, when the, when the serpent said, you know, you, you can. What did God say? He said, well, don't eat of that tree. And he should have said, well, why don't you eat of that tree? What they should have said is, why? You see all these other ones? I mean, we, we, we've got bananas over here the size of your arms. I mean, look at, look at all of this fruit. But he got them focused on the one thing that they didn't have. And sometimes for, for people in ministry, it's the building they don't have. It's the, it's the staff they don't have. It's, it's, it's the things that they don't have. And then we get discontented. And actually, gain comes from learning to be grateful for what we have. Uh, I, mean, I mean, let's be honest, we've all experienced it. You know, no, normally most of us didn't start with a brand new car. You know, we might've started with a little older jalopy and then we get a little frustrated because it keeps breaking down and we want that new car. And then you put the whole focus on the new car and you stop being grateful for the car that's getting you to work. And then we wonder why the new car never manifests because great gain actually comes through learning, learning to live a life of contentment but yet still having goals and desires for more, which, which God wants. He desires that for us. But, but living a life that says, I'm grateful right now for everything that I have, and I'm going to keep a grateful heart because it's that gratefulness that ultimately is going to lead to gain or to increase or to meet, if you may, transitioning to that, to that next place. So uh, good stuff so far. So anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, I would just... A word about that personal agitation that we sense and feel that that is the uh, instability in the moment that 
Mark's transition is beginning. I've went through that a few times in ministry, ended up moving geographically, ended up moving through different ministry positions. Um, And for me, it looks like Paul's statement of Colossians 3, the only time in the New Testament he drops the Greek word brobeo in when he says, let the peace of God rule your heart. And he uses for the word rule brobeo, which is better translated umpire. Let the peace of God umpire what you do. And an umpire to me is baseball. And I know it's not to Paul because it didn't exist, unfortunately, for them. (laughs) But for them, the umpire was an Olympic judge who basically governed wrestling, track and field. But the umpire's word was the rule. Whatever the umpire said, that's the winner. There's no arguing. And to use that word was an interesting choice, but he doesn't use it anywhere else. Uh, He uses the counter of it in Colossians when he sticks a kata at the front. Kata brabeo. Kata's down from, negative. When he says, don't let others kata brabeo you. Don't let others negatively umpire you. Let your hearts be umpired by peace. So when the waters agitate, it might be time to put the sails up and figure out where we're going because that wind that, that's rocking the waves, that's the Holy Spirit saying it's time to move on. When others rock the boat, we have what it takes. We're following the invisible man. He, as, we followed as the one as if he were invisible and we went out of the pleasures of Egypt into that wilderness to see the bush that burns that is not consumed. You can handle it when the agitation is coming at you from the outside. You'll know the difference. So with, uh, with, those thing, with all those things that were said, another signal uh, that a transition is taking place is that there will be an internal dissonance in you and that's a sign of progress, not problem. There's an unrest that comes to us because what's happening is God is creating a vacuum in you that he's going to fill. Does that make sense? The unrest is actually in the spirit a vacuum, so to speak that God's creating, that he's going to fill. The other, the other things that go on then is that there is internal dissonance that comes, meaning emotionally things go a little off. And it's, we look at that as a problem because in the front end of this, we may not even see this wave of transition or change happening. And so all of this, the, the unrest is good, but we look at the dissonance as bad. But we have to remember that the emotional dissonance inside that also becomes cognitive at times or mental is simply God rooting out in us what needs to change so that we can accept and move forward in this transition to this next state. Does does that make sense? And so what I've found, even in my own life, is, is if I've got the right parameters for what to expect in this process, then I can adjust to that rather than fight that. If I'm thinking all along that 
so I know this sounds kind of oxymoron to the fact of what Bishop and Paul just said about having peace and, and having peace lead you. But what's happening is, is God's, God's beginning to pull out of you things that didn't need pulled out in this season. And that's going to create not only some dissonance, but quite frankly, some sleepless nights, some real tension, real tension between you and your spouse, your kids, and even, even in the people that you lead. And you need to understand that this is happening. And in this moment, in this context, it's not a bad thing. It's that God is rooting out, you know, like the people of Israel crossing the Jordan, prepare yourselves, sanctify yourselves. Uh, I grew up in a movement that taught that in a way that's completely different than what I'm saying. But the point is, is things are going to move out of you to make way for this next place. So I want, I want to just turn that over and say, okay, guys, in this journey uh, that you guys have had and experienced, uh, just in whatever way, speak to that idea that there is an unrest. We talked about that, but, but, but what have you noticed or realized or even worked out in you in terms of then the emotional stuff, which also leads into mindsets and things and however you want to take that? I noticed in this particular transition uh, that I am in, there were things that I, I thought I, I was over and realized I wasn't over it. And so one of those things I think many of us struggle with, particularly here in America, is that success is how many people are sitting in front of you. Uh, success is how many views that you get on a video. And the bigger, the better. That's success. That's the model. Uh, you have to have a big, beautiful uh, facility. This big, beautiful facility, and that's cool. I'm just saying, you, you don't have to have a big, beautiful facility. And I thought I was over those things, because I was, I was preaching some good stuff about not needing that stuff. And so that I started to recognize that as after COVID, and we, we lost some folks, and... Um, and, and even in the building we're in, we're selling our building. It's an old school Methodist building. There's some leaking going on. And so um, I move into this smaller area and we take like 25, 30 people in this smaller area. And I'm thinking it's cool, right? I'm just sowing seed, watering seed. But I'm, I'm struggling with this. There's some weird ego thing cropping up that says that this, this look, look, you know, you hear it in your ear when you're preaching. Is this what it come down to for you? It's like a small group. It's like a Bible study. All the old stuff that says what success is. And so that's probably in this season something a lot of us are going to have to deal with because God is shifting our priorities. And it's never going to be anything wrong with numbers or increasing numbers or anything like that. It's just that when you read the, the New Testament, particularly with Paul, you don't see him commending any ministry for the size of their ministry. He would, he would say things like, I'm so excited uh, about you. I thank God for you in my prayers always because your faith is talked about all over the world or that your love for one another is increasing. And so God started shifting me, said, wouldn't you rather have someone 
say the love for one another in this church is increasing rather than look at how beautiful your building is. And so that's one of the, yeah. And so that's one of the things that, that you have that internal dissonance, and I didn't know it was there. I'm moving into a building with, uh, it's, uh, it was a mega church in town, Methodist Church. In fact, the building we're in is the former church they were in. And it's this big, beautiful facility, and they've gone through the post-COVID thing, and they have this extra space and offered us to, to move into that space. I'm thinking, that's awesome. You know, you, need, you don't have to pay anything. You could just move in and... And, and I'm thinking, and there's something in there is going, but you're moving into another dude's, like, spot. It's like, this is what it come down, you're in another guy's spot. And, and then I called Bishop, and I, I had to tell, I said, look, I'm struggling with this. He said, well, you know, that's kingdom. And I said, I know it's kingdom, Bishop. <laughs> I get it, I know. I'm just feeling, I'm just, I don't know why I'm feeling, and I'm just feeling like, you know, if I were in the big building, and I reached out and offered to the, to the teeny weeny ministry a little spot that you can have. Then it would be kingdom, but I wasn't anticipating. <laughs> I wasn't anticipating this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm wanting, I'm wanting who I am and how I am to line up, line up with what I preach. And so now it's on, it's on display for people that I lead that if you really believe these are the priorities for us, then I've had to start to make peace with, God killed that in me so that I stop having this, 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 this ego thing and this pride thing and that I just be thankful to continue to sow this seed of kingdom and love and grace and acceptance in the hearts of people and, and see them do with it whatever God has uh, planned for them. Very good, John. Thank you. Yeah, when, when he called me and he started kind of complaining about that, I said, that's just your pride. And he was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I said, We're, we've all been there, man, and we will be in the future. I mean, that's something we all deal with, especially, especially males. You know, that, that's a thing where, uh, you know, all of a sudden, did I fail? You know, did, it, did I do something wrong? And it's like, No. Life happens, seasons happen, uh, change takes place. What was in one season is different in another. Uh, I know in my life we've had. Well, first of all, I think uh, I mean I remember I remember a few years ago when Danny Silk was with us. I told him this. I said someone needs to write a book about all the transitions in marriage. You know, I said you need premarital counseling, but then before you have your first baby, you need counseling again. You know, especially men, because you need to know something that all the fun you were having till that baby was born <laughs> is about to stop, all right, because you're about to have something in your bed with you. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> and, and, and there needs to probably be a discussion about that, because if you don't know, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then the first child goes to school, and then the first child that leaves home. And I mean, it's amazing how through our life, there's so many transitions that affect us emotionally. That, that change everything. I know for us, when I first left the denomination, and, well, I tried to. I tried to resign. They didn't let me. They kicked me out instead. Uh, and all my doors shut. I was scheduled literally two and a half years out in meetings, and in three weeks, uh, two and a half years out, moved down to about, I think, seven services over the next year. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, everything got canceled. I literally felt like I had to start all over. Uh, I, I still remember our whole family. We drove across Michigan, and we pulled into a parking lot because we were supposed to preach a meeting that week. And the pastor comes out, and he says, listen, I'm sorry. This was before cell phones. This was in 1999. Well, there were cell phones, but they were this big, and they were thousands of dollars. And uh, I will never forget, he walked out, and he said, hey, listen, I'm sorry, but uh, I tried to call you before you left, but your name was out on the marquee. And one of the leaders from the denomination saw it, and they called the superintendent of the bishop, and he called and said, we should stay away from you and shouldn't have you, so I'm sorry we can't have you. Didn't fill up our gas tank, didn't feed us supper, didn't give us an honorarium, and I'm not going to lie, uh, I cussed nearly three hours back home. Uh, I was angry, I was upset because it wasn't just. I was 32, and everything with me at 32 was justice. You know, it was right or wrong, there was no gray area, it was black or white, that's all it was. And, and I remember the next day I'm, I'm, I'm in my office and someone had given me Rick Joyner's book, A Prophetic Vision of the 21st Century. And, uh, you know, regardless of what you think about Rick Joyner, there was a little part of that book. And he's talking about God giving him a vision of this city being built and all of these men that look like generals standing around watching the city being built, holding swords but doing nothing. And he asked the angel in this, this vision, he said, who are they? He said, they are the leaders of the past and the present who God will not allow to build his city in the, in the new millennium because they've shed the brother's blood. And because I was ready to go on the attack, I'm not gonna lie, I was ready to call a bunch of people, tell them this is wrong, this ain't right. Instead, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and he said, I want you to send the leader of the movement a $100 offering. And I argued for a week. I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm, 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 I'm not doing that. I ain't sending that guy a nickel. I mean, he just, you know, he just took money out of my family's mouth. And I think over about a year and a half period, I sent him about $1,200. And he ended up, uh, he'd send a thank you letter every time. It was very nice. He sent a thank you card. I don't think he knew what it was even about. And he's a good guy. He was just guarding his system is all it was. And, but, but I had to go through the emotions of, I had two choices. I could get bitter or better. And because I didn't just, you know, it's one thing to pray for someone that's betrayed you or harmed you. It's another thing to send them an offering. Listen, I'm telling you, when you really bless those that despitefully use you, and I'm telling you what, what shifted my whole emotions was when I started sending him offerings, it was like the forgiveness was easy because I realized those who harm me, uh, when I bless them in return, that there's something that take, took place inside of me. It just wasn't an outside thing. And this is the crazy thing. 1998, I preached almost 300 times. 1999, it was, I think, 80. But our finances doubled. And I was like, well, I kind of like this. <laughs> like, I'm working less and making more money. Thank you, Jesus. But I mean, it, it's just crazy about how God did that. And then... You know, many of you know, we made a, a, a transition about four or five years ago uh, when we turned the church that we had started over, and it, it, it didn't go well at all. Uh, you know, it turned into just crazy uh, betrayal and all kinds of, of stuff, and having to walk through the emotion of realizing not only forgiving someone that was judging your heart to the nth degree, but then also praying, uh, Father, may they not reap what they sow. That, Father, I want no harm to come. I want nothing but blessing uh, on, on, the, on the family and, and everything they've done and everything they put their hand to. But, but 
You talk about then having to grab a hold of your emotions, having to bishop your soul. I mean, whether we like it or not, there's times we have to learn because our emotions can go crazy, but we have to learn how to bishop our soul during those times. We have to oversee it. We have to command our soul, relax, calm down, you know, in this situation because things can get completely so out of whack and it's, it's how we respond to those things that are going on internally that have everything to do with them. I'm convinced when I was 32, if I would have allowed bitterness to get a hold of my heart, I still would have been a bitter preacher and none of this would be here. Absolutely. And now in that same denomination, I've had a lot of the people that used to have me ask me back now after all these years and doors are opening back up in that denomination simply because I didn't get bitter. I didn't go on the attack and I, I continue to bless them. And now a lot of them are bringing me in because they are where I was 20 years ago. The problem is I ain't there no more. <laughs> and so now I'm not sure how to help them because I'm like, I, I don't even think like y'all anymore. I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to help you. But I mean, I'm, I'm 20 years down the road and you're just finally getting to where I was. And, but even that is, it's just the bishoping of our souls in the midst of all that is, is so important. And, and we'll have to do it in the future too. Uh, you know, that's not just something that's a one-time deal. I got this figured out. Uh-uh. I mean, we go from one situation to another where we have to learn uh, emotionally. And, and, and number one thing, uh, and I'll stop with this, my back here last July, uh, Wendy's dad, my father-in-law, uh, he, he passed and he was almost 93 and he ended up dying of COVID pneumonia. But uh, I remember he was about ready to celebrate their 70th anniversary. And at his 60th anniversary, uh, I, I asked my dad, and uh, he was a wonderful man. He, he had a like, sixth grade education, uh, worked in the steel mills in Gary, Indiana for 40 years. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't a very educated person, but probably the greatest piece of wisdom I ever got, I said to him, I said, Dad, you've, been, you've stayed married for 60 years, and I know your wife. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I said, how have you stayed married for 60 years? And he looked at me, didn't bat an eye. He said, I've learned to be a good forgiver. And I said, that's literally the best piece of wisdom I think I've ever gotten. And uh, that, just that little richness of something so simple of just realizing that, that that's what allows things to keep moving forward because we have opportunities to get offended with our family, with our staffs, with our teams, with our church members, uh, with those who work with us on a regular basis but learning to be a good forgiver and, and guard our emotions. So. Uh, thanks for the honesty about ego. Yeah. It's, a, it's refreshing to, to, to hear. I love to hear pastors and leaders be raw and open and honest and say, because that's, that's like the dragon that rises out of the sea for a lot of us, that we don't, it doesn't want to be acknowledged. It doesn't really have anything to do with building sizes and ministry sizes. It just has to do with us in the endless quest for validation, trying to be validated by size and budgets, but even trying to be validated in individual sermons, hoping you get a compliment or a pat on the back or open those altars. Everyone, come on up. Everyone, the one who gets closer to God, so you can leave and go, well, we filled the altars. You know, it's that validation you seek. Yeah. Um, so thanks. That's, uh, that's refreshing. And I, I hope it is for everyone else, too, because you can be open 
and honest and realize that we don't have this figured out and that we're all really in the same boat one way or the other. Um, but to dissonance, my thought is that dissonance to me makes me think of music because dissonant notes aren't bad notes. They just don't belong together. And they exist in a different key and they exist in a different place. To try and force them together creates chaos on the ear. And we turn that down and we move away from it. So it's not, it's not always as if we are wrong. It's just that we are in the wrong key with the sound of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Greek word symphonio is the English word agree. And we actually derive our English word symphony from symphonio. If any two of you agree on any one thing, Jesus said, and he used symphonio. If any two of you come into symphony, well, a symphony, if you listen to the violins, they are not playing the same melody as the trumpets. They're in the same key, but they're not playing the same melody. And they're not playing the same melody as the cello. If you just isolate the cello, it's one sound. And then if you turn the board down and isolate the trombone, it's another melody altogether. And if you weren't listening to them together, you'd go, oh, two different songs. Push the entire board up and listen to the entire symphony, and it brings chills up the back of your neck. Everybody's doing their thing, but they're in the same key, but the melodies are meant to go together. They're not dissonant. Finding that is the great quest for all of us to land in the spot where we are in harmony with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And when we hear the dissonant note, it doesn't mean we're not good at this. It doesn't mean we're not a good player. It means we need to pause and maybe realize we're on the wrong page. That, you know, something has slipped and go back to that page of where we where we're in agreement with what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So give yourself some mercy in those moments of dissonance and realize that you haven't lined up in that second with where the conductor... And, and dissonance is chaos until the conductor steps onto the platform and goes tap, 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 and then everyone stops, and then here comes heaven. So what you're saying is people have to experience some hell before they're willing to shift and change. Yeah. I, I wanted to just add this to that because I, I, it, it just shifted to me. I thought it was so good. Uh, when we were in the Netherlands, uh, my daughter, Brittany, she did a morning session on New Covenant Worship. And she said something I, I thought was extremely profound. Uh, I can't remember where she found it. I'm sure she could give you the source. But uh, they took a choir and uh, they actually connected uh, all of these wires to their hearts so that they could, they could see the heartbeat of everyone in the choir. And when they first connected, everybody's heartbeat was all different. Of course, they were all beating to their own, their own drum, if you may. But after they began to sing, by the time they got to the end of the first song, all of their hearts had synced, and it was the same beat. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that to me is, I can see why all through the Psalms, it says, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Just let all open their mouth and sing. There's something about 
I believe worship that's still so important because it literally, I, which I believe the day of Pentecost wasn't a prayer meeting. Uh, those of you that have my book, you know that it wasn't in an upper room. It was in the temple because they went daily to the temple, blessing and praising God continually because uh, thousands of people wouldn't have heard them praying in an unknown tongue uh, in a little alley on the backside of Jerusalem. I, it just wouldn't happen. It would have been in the temple uh, during during a time of worship. And it was in that time of worship. It says they were in one place. They were in one accord. Umiathumos, literally one heart, one mind, one voice. There's something about when we gather together with people that when we're going through something emotional, that's when it's time to not draw away from people that have a heart for us, but to draw near and then learn how to agree and worship together so hearts can begin to sink. So you can get in the same mode and the same flow. And that's where... That's where, to me, the, the, the worship piece of that, when you're going through that emotional time, uh, that's when you need to wake up in the morning and say, Alexa, turn on Maverick City. Alexa, turn on, you know, I mean, there's something, when you're driving down the road and you get bad news, there's something about just putting on some worship. It calms you. It, it, it helps you to bishop your soul at times. But then also a corporate body, I think it's, it's so important that, that when they're going through transition, to worship together. And, and that's where right now people are, are separating all over the place rather than actually coming together. Uh, I think it's a huge piece of it. So anyway, next one. Yeah, amen. So in the process then as you're going through uh, in a transition, and again, keep in mind that um, part of the dissonance that happens, as I said earlier, is the expectations that I have versus expectancy. Um, expectancy is a hope and a faith and organic and it keeps a grace in your life when, in, when, when expectancy turns into expectation then it becomes a ruling law and, when, and, and how many of you know we're not good at being the God and governor uh, and, and the law bearer uh, if, if I can just diverge there a second, I've literally had whole marriages restored because when they sat down with me, they had no idea that they were expecting something in each other from their arena that they brought into it that the other one had completely different expectations. How much more than if you think about it in the people that we lead in the churches, they're bringing all of their, not expectancy, but expectations. And then you're bringing yours and nobody's communicating that. And so that, so as we're rolling through these big transitions and, and, and even individually, we've got to keep in mind that, that we have to shift our expectations into a different place of expectancy and here's why if I expect something out of you and I haven't communicated it and we haven't agreed just in that then I can have the same emotions rise up in me as when I think I'm offended at you anger rage hurt disappointment and you would think and I've had this happen, uh, even in transitioning people in their lives, I, I'm forgiving, but I'm still angry. And then they begin to talk about what they're actually angry about. And you go, oh, 
well, let's, let's verbally release out of our heart this expectation and come back to expectancy where you can have grace and you can move because you framed this in so tight on this person, on this group, on yourself that when you're not meeting it, you become your own God and we as our own gods are not loving. We get angry. We get fearful. We get shamed. Does that make sense? So, so just keep that in mind. And as, as we move forward here, one of another signal that you're in a transition and you're in it. Um, and I just want to say it the way I wrote it, uh, cause I like it that way. Um, you will lose relationships because of the pursuit of the new information, this or experience that is transforming your life. This is something that's not an expectancy now. You can expect it. You will lose relationships, good relationships, as you transition into this new place with the excitement and the joy that you have because we by nature, most of us, whatever circle we deem as part of us going on this journey, we want everyone to go with us. It's on the hard drive. Like we get excited. If you're in this circle that's part of my, whatever, whoever I deem as, you're going with me. Some people in this transition are not going to go with you. It is going to be a loss to you and it will also be a hurt to you because some of the people that aren't going with you don't understand that maybe they should be in the transition or that you are and they're out and they don't get it. They don't see where you're going. When I was in the denomination that I was in and I was leading my church, I recognized that the things that I was learning and growing in and teaching the, the new leadership there, uh, the, 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 dom the denomination wasn't going to go with me. I was 27 and we were blowing and going and moving, but I realized, and so for integrity's sake, I talked to the leadership and they're like, yeah, we're a big ship with a little rudder and we aren't turning anytime there soon. So if you're, if, if you're going to do this, then, then, uh, bye. And, and Prior to that, one of the people that was a leader in the church that I had fully, full disclosure to, full vulnerability, trusted with my life in that season and even in a younger season, like literally physically with my life because I had got pneumonia in both lungs and their family nurtured me back to life uh, while I was pastoring there. Uh, I had gotten a call that one of my leaders had called the district and said I was taking the church out of the denomination. It wasn't even in my wheelhouse to do that. And I was like, none of my leaders would do that. It had to be a disgruntled person that left. And literally after I had that meeting, this leader had walked into the church that next day. And I'm laughing. And I'm saying, you're never going to believe this. Somebody called as one of the leaders, said I was taking the church out of the, out of the denomination. That is hilarious. We need to talk about some things, though, because I got information. I'm not looking at this leader coming in the door. 
And then I look up and all the blood has drained out of this person's face. And I, I stood there stunned. I sat there. You, you know, if you know Shakespeare, et tu brute, right? Uh, and it was my first experience in serious betrayal. And I realized that day, they weren't going along. They weren't even in the process. And then I got a call from a friend of mine that was a national evangelist and in the true gift of evangelism and had sown into their lives as they were going along and brought them in and blessed them and felt like we were brothers, had thought about even partnering with his ministry at one time. He calls me and, and it's not a hello, it's not a, it's, it's not a, hey, let's talk. It's a, oh, I hear you're taking your church out of the denomination. I hear you're, you're going to just, and, and this tirade of things. Just, whoosh. And we had a conversation, and that relationship never restored. I've forgiven, and I've moved on. And, but you need to understand need to just know it's going to happen and it's going to happen with people that you absolutely never would have thought for whatever reasons that it is happening and then other people that you thought that they're gonna they're gonna go they step in and all of a sudden they become anchoring people and they rise up in a way that you never even knew they had it in them and you have to process that you have to realize as you transition, you're going to deal with loss. Not that people are going to die, but whatever you anchor your heart to emotionally that then leaves you, and by default, I'm going to say here, can be possessions, can be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rabbit trailing to just make a point. Emotional loss comes with all kinds of things, not just somebody literally breathing their last. But you're going to have to deal with the reality that you're going to lose people. It's going to get emotional, and it's going to get heavy. But God will walk through it with you, and again, knowing the right things as it happens is going to help you. It's going to help your church if your church is transitioning or a group of people and they're all going to go through it in their ways and the Holy Spirit gets in the middle of it. But we have to have the right expectancy of what's happening. So I laid all that out. I don't care what direction you guys take it in, you know, because that's what we're doing, right? But it's just how, you know, how have you dealt with? How do you understand? Wh whatever you feel led in all that. Yeah, I, I, I want to just piggyback on that and uh, just say this and then I'll give it to John. I know when I... My major transition, of course, was leaving a denomination I grew up in. It was all I knew. It was, uh, I was third generation in it. That's where all my open doors were. That's where my reputation was. That's where my finances were. And I had to realize that I had to be willing, number one, to lose reputation. And that was probably my biggest struggle until it dawned on me one day that Jesus became of no reputation. That Jesus was not consumed with his reputation because people... Uh, we'll start talking about you about stuff that you had nothing to do with. I remember, uh, you know, uh, Steve Mazaris is sitting in a meeting and all, all the preachers were ripping on me. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, 
who are you talking about? He's never done any of that. You know, I mean, I had a few people that did stick up for me. Thank you, bro. Uh, you know, but I mean, it was, it was one of those things where it was just crazy about how people will try to destroy your reputation. Then you have to be willing to realize it's also going to shut some doors on you because now a lot of things that you knew and where you were, those doors aren't there anymore. And it also can then also affect finances uh, because if that's also where you were part of making your living, now you have to shift and there's going to be at times a fear in you of then how are we going to be taken care of? And that's when you step in really to a life of faith and trust and realize God's the one that always takes care of us anyway. And, and then you just shift and transition. And I've watched every single transition in my life because, and I know John's going to want to talk about this in a minute, uh, my, a lot of my major transitions have been theological. And, you know, when I shifted uh, into an understanding of righteousness and grace, there was a lot of doors that began to shut on me. Then I began to transition into getting bold about my eschatology. And when you start getting bold about eschatology, you know, now you are a heretic of heretics. And then, you, then, the, the, then, you know, I come out with an e-course on hell, and I actually started to actually, you know, talk about what the Bible says about it. And then all of a sudden, you're not, you're not even saved anymore, uh, you know, if you don't believe what everybody else believes about some of that stuff. And, 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 but what I've watched is every single time that I've been willing to step into those transitions, yes, doors shut, but then all these other ones started to open. But there's this whole other world out there of people that were longing for what I was talking about. And we have to simply learn to just trust that, that, that God's going to, through those transitions, still continue to open up other doors. Even when it doesn't look like it, and we're like, God, we don't know what's going on right now. Like, how are we going to be taken care of? How is this going to happen? And he's like, listen, I got you. You're, you're still my child. And just keep godliness with contentment is great gain. And, and because those theological shifts also are huge things that happens a lot of times in our churches. I remember when we brought Apostle Tony Fitzgerald in uh, for one of our summits about four or five years ago in Michigan. And he got up and just laid the kingdom out to everybody. And by the time he got done, I saw the faces of all of these preachers. They were ready to go home, shut the church down and start all over again. Because they were literally like, man, we ain't done none of this right. You know, we, we, we built all this on all this other stuff. And I said, no, don't do that. You know, that, that, that's not what this was taught. You're going to have to transition the church. And transitioning a culture in a church, a business, or anything else, to me, that's the most difficult thing. Because we do build a culture into it. And trying to transition the mindsets of people into a different way of thinking, that takes time. You, you don't do that overnight. And a wise master builder, I love it. Uh, I think it, uh, Paul or Jesus, I think it was Jesus, where he said, a wise man brings forth treasures of that which is old and that which is new. So it's not kicking everything to the curb, but it's, but it's using wisdom to realize we can, we can shift and we can make these transitions and do it healthy without, oh, we can take this new wine and begin to transform the wineskin because the wine skin has to change first, so then we don't lose a bunch of the wine and we don't run everybody off in the first place. So, um, Let me say, first of all, that sometimes in the transition and there's a parting, it, it's not necessarily negative or, or uh, betrayal or anything. You could have two fruitful branches that grow in opposite directions. And so that's one. Uh, 
secondly, you don't have to ha have to labor over trying to figure out why somebody has left your church or not going with you. I used to, that's really our own insecurity uh, and our fear of rejection. Every pastor, especially pastors, you have to deal with the fear of rejection because people are going to leave your church. And if you fear rejection, you'll be a people pleaser because you're trying to make sure nobody leaves. It's not your job to determine where everybody leaves or stays or goes. It's your job to, to sow seed, water seed, and be an example of God's love as best you can. And so you're going to have to deal with the fear of rejection because it makes us act pretty weird. <laughs> so you have to deal with that. And so I remember when you talked about Tony Fitzgerald Bishop, and I was there, and I think her name's Shalise. She, she came to me, you know how unorthodox she is. She came, my wife and I, and then she said, and she was just having a conversation, she said that, that God's downloading the kingdom to you. And I thought I knew all about the kingdom. So I was like, okay. She said, no, he's downloading the kingdom to you. You ever seen the Matrix? It's like he's plugging a thing in the back of your head and he's just downloading the kingdom to you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and so when I get back, I, all I can tell you is I'm, when I read scripture, everything was expanding is all I'm saying because a revelation of the kingdom of God kind of expands things. And so I was excited, so I preached a message um, talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, climbing the Mount of Transfiguration, and I was all excited. And so I started preaching, I was preaching, and I had this part, I was down there, and I got up on the platform, and then, and then I said, and, and I just want to tell you that your pastor has come up on the mountain of transfiguration and I see Jesus in a brighter light like I've never seen him before. It's like a diamond. I'm starting to see how he reflects on all kinds of sides. And I'm telling you that you're going to climb up on this mountain with me and we're going to move from the law and move from the prophets to Jesus. And I thought this is going to be awesome. And the whole leadership team left in the next couple of months. <laughs> and so when, when you, it's just how it is. Some people, some people are not committed to personal growth. And so when you begin to grow personally, they become uncomfortable because they know deep inside that they should be growing, but they don't want to grow. So they say things like, you, like, you think you're better than everybody. It's like, no, you're projecting. And so when you're going to have people who want you to be what you were when they met you. And, and they are not committed. If they love you, then they are for you. They want you to grow. They want you to be all God wants you to be. And some people just don't want that. And you're just going to have to, to live with that and deal with that. And so when Bishop talks about theological transitions, this is something I've been saying often, is the other problem you may run into is, is that people tend to build these structures in the wilderness. God never told anybody to build a structure in the wilderness. That when uh, Abraham was in Canaan, God, he said, you owned all of this, but he never told him to build a structure. He told him to, to, to carry a tent. So sometimes you're going to put a tent up and you're going to camp out for a while on the revelation of grace or revelation of faith. 
Here's a good one, the word of faith. And you're going to camp out there for a while. And then the cloud's going to move, or, or you're going to move into a different direction. God wants to emphasize now grace. And if you have made an identity out of that revelation, now you're a faith person. And a faith person can't be a grace person. And so when anybody leaves there, starts moving forward, then the faith people that won't leave start to call the grace person a heretic. Because you're stuck in a structure instead of folding up your tent and moving to the next place that God takes you. So you got to have theological tents and not build these theological structures. And so when you move from, I, I knew it was coming with grace, then we're going to become grace people. And I didn't like that. I didn't like when people say, are you a grace preacher? I was like, is there any other kind? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grace preacher. But I mean, I'm, I, I don't want it to be a thing. I don't want to be a grace preacher. I don't want to be a black preacher. I don't want to, I, I, I just, I just want to preach the gospel. And so people, they did it again. They built a structure. We're the grace people. And so when God was like, now I want to move you to understanding that the gospel of the kingdom is comprised of the gospel of grace and faith and all these different things within this big tent called the kingdom. And so you have to keep being flexible, but you have to accept that some people have made an identity out of where they're at and they're not moving and you're going to have to be good with that and not fall for this twisted loyalty where you end up dying with Saul like Jonathan instead of reigning with David. And so get over the fear of rejection. It, old people, we should know this. <laughs> it doesn't matter what Who you Who you calling old? <laughs> I, they projecting. I didn't specify. <laughs> I just said old people. <laughs> no. Paul's young. Paul's so young, yeah. Yeah. But you should know by now, people are going to reject you no matter what you do. That's just part of life. Stop stressing about trying. I spent so much time and created so much anxiety for myself trying to figure out why somebody left and why aren't they going with me and why don't they understand what I'm saying instead of that's just how it is. And you don't want your heart to become callous to the place that you couldn't care less what people think. People who say that, it's like, really? You should care a little, especially on the level of relationship. But you, you want it to hurt a little. You just don't want to be balled up in the fetal position about it for a year. You just got to process it. You got to keep moving, and you got to keep doing what God called and created you to do. Man. That's, that's good. I got to quit going last. Jiminy Christmas. Um, you guys covered it. I, the, you know, what you said right there near the end is the very reason why I wince a little bit when someone calls the ministry and goes, hey, do you know of a grace church in such and so town? Do you know of a kingdom church in such and so town? And there's a little part of me that doesn't want to answer. Not because there's not one or maybe there is or there isn't, but because we've turned it into this thing. And I also, and a lot of times think, oh boy, I've, I dread what this pastor's got to put up with when you come in because you finally found the thing and man, you are inevitably going to be disappointed in something. Um, you know, I, I just, th real quick, when I preach, teach about, and this is the journey I'm on, 
in a rediscovery of Jesus, personally. When I preach and teach on a Jesus who says the last is first and the first is last, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you got to be the least, and a Jesus that keeps teaching you to die, and a Jesus that keeps teaching you that you got to come in at the end of the line, I'm not giving a form of neo-works by which you're trying to get to this status in Christ. I'm trying to teach that that's the baseline of who you are in Christ, and the quicker you come to that understanding, the easier it will be to follow that Jesus, okay? And, and that we have to transform that way of thinking so that that becomes our standard, not the exception to the rule. Because if it becomes our standard, then we're less disappointed when we are abandoned or when we are last. We accept it as what we signed up for. But when it's the outlier, then we're, we're torn up. We're hurt. We can't believe we're last. We can't believe we lost people. Because we've stopped watching the Jesus that told you that was what was going to happen when you signed up. And when we stop making that the baseline, then there's, we live in a state of reaction. You see, I don't think that the kingdom is a system of reaction. I think that the kingdom is a system of response. And I'm not just mincing words or parsing words. Reaction is emotional. Reaction speaks from pain and unforgiveness and anger and malice and abandonment. Response speaks from what Christ teaches us on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is response. It's what the kingdom looks at the world like. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are crushed. Blessed are those who are living under injustice. None of those are blessed. Not in the systems of the world, but in the system of the kingdom. They're all blessed. It's all an inverted system in which Christ doesn't make you climb this rung to him. He comes down the ladder to you and he goes, here's how we respond to a world that doesn't know what we look like. And this is how we do it where I come from, Jesus says. This is how my dad loves and this is how we respond, not react. Because reaction is visceral and quick and emotional. And as pastors and leaders, you are going to be ghosted constantly by people into whom you poured your entire life. You counseled their marriage. You were at their birth, birthing. You baptized their kids. You gave them a graduation party. You conducted their marriage. And then one Sunday they're gone. And they never call you again. And when you see them in Walmart, they go the other way. And it's because of something you preached or didn't preach or said or didn't say or a hand you shook or you didn't shake or a neck you should have embraced a little longer. It's going to be a thousand and one things. And if the baseline for you is the response of the kingdom, I've grown to expect that I signed up to be last. It's a little easier to deal with than if I signed up to win and be the best. And God's man of faith and power. And we're going to show everybody how this is done. And then we take it personal. Because it crashes that ego. And we don't know what to do with ourselves. And the quicker we get to, I'm going to find that Jesus who tells me the only way to win is to come in last. That's the man I'm going to follow to the death. Well, that's a good place to start. Come on. (laughs) The first is... The slave, the slave is the first. Yeah.
And that concludes the roundtable discussion at the CIM Conference 2022. Nathan Blouse, John Scott, Jamie Englehart, and myself. And I think there was some stuff in there that for those of you who may be going through periods of transition or need some explanation about some things happening, particularly in ministry, I hope this has been a blessing to you. Tomorrow, the Saturday edition of the podcast, we'll get started on 2 Timothy, and we'll tell you what's coming up on our sermon drop for Sunday. Until then, God bless.